When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder, back with me is Taryn Sharma. What's up, buddy? Seven series in a row. This team, uh, you can't slow them down. Yeah, well, they just keep setting records and um, it makes our job fun and easy. Uh, we can keep talking about winning baseball that uh, is is pleasing to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've said it a bunch of times already. This season kind of feels special and um I guess what we got Friday was uh, <laughs> incredibly special and some might disagree, but shit, I celebrated Friday's combined no hitter, just like it was a regular no hitter. Of course it wasn't uh wasn't quite, you know, historically to historical standards. I get that, but we'll take it, man. I think the Mets have had uh, two no hitters in 61 seasons and uh, I've seen both of them. So yeah, I'm going to celebrate them just the same. Yeah, I uh, got to watch with a buddy of mine who actually had worked for the Mets for a while. And um, so that was really special uh, to be able to get together with a pal. And then you end up seeing history. That's uh, that was awesome. And uh, you're damn right that it's special. We're going to celebrate it. Why wouldn't we? 61 years and they've only done it twice. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and you know, I get the argument or at least the side of the argument that says that, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's not a it's not a real it doesn't have the same validity of a complete game. No hitter. And I, I agree 100 percent. But uh, it is what it is. You held the team hitless for nine innings, at least from a fan's perspective. It's extremely exciting. I mean, I was just sitting home watching the game and that was great. I mean, the, the, the pressure building up inning after inning, you could feel the energy you know, from the, from the crowd through the television, that's how, you know, something cool is happening. And uh, yeah, that was, that was awesome. McGill looked terrific. Uh, the bullpen w- was just, you know, lights out. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I totally believe that the, uh, the relief corps didn't know that there were no hits or at least uh, I guess Diaz knew, and, you know, maybe you are just in the mix of the game, you're just at work and you don't notice, but yeah, uh, I, I, Eh, I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so quick to believe that nobody knew that there was no hits. Uh, you know, if that was the case, awesome. You just go to work, get your job done and, and uh, you know, pass it off to the next guy. But yeah, it was um very exciting. It, you know, you look back 10 years ago and just personally, it's like, wow, well, you know, what, what, what were we doing the last time the Mets threw a no hitter and, yeah. Now, sitting at my dad's kitchen table. It was awesome. I mean, and this was, uh, you know, not quite Johan go, going um, 140 pitches plus, but, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was fun to experience. Yeah. And uh, what an effort by James McCann. I, that, to me, is almost the most impressive thing, right? You've got five different guys. They all throw differently. Um, and he called a great game, 159 pitches. He was back behind the plate for a long time. Um, 
a really superb effort from him. His second one that he's caught, the first one with fans, he had Giolito's uh, no-hitter in 2020. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting for uh, McCann and a nice moment for him, which has been like, uh, you know, it's been an up-and-down season. Yeah, and, you know, to talk about the catchers real quick, I I don't put a whole lot of weight in, or at least a whole lot of water in that cup. Um, I, I don't expect, you know, average performance from a, from the catcher position offensively. I just don't. I mean, I guess McCann's salary kind of necessitates that he brings more to the table. And I, I hear that a hundred percent, but um, you know, with the depth of this lineup, I, I'm not all too concerned. I think even, I mean, we'll get to Dom later in the show, but he's started slow. Even Marte's had a slow start. Um, he's been, he's shown his value and then some, but you know, with the depth of this roster, you can kind of afford to wait guys out. <laughs> There's some guys who uh, who just uh, aren't really showing much. But again, that's more topics for later in the show. But yeah, you got a, P- a big Pete home run on Friday. Um, you had almost the, the hallmark uh, elite defensive play, which comes along with a no hitter and Brandon Nimmo's uh, diving play in center. You just, you know, it just goes along with that whole special feeling that that the month of April has kind of brought with it. It's been uh, it's been fun to experience. Yeah, uh, you mentioned it. Without uh, with the exception of those two Segura balls off the bat, um, there weren't a ton of challenges presented to the defense. So it was just again very fun to watch. I mean, the walks weren't fun in an ordinary situation. You would hate that six walks in a game, but. Yeah, I, I just uh, to me, an incredible effort. There's been 315 of these things um, at the highest level, 315 no hitters. Yeah. And only 17 of those have been combined. Uh, and only 27 of those have included six or more walks. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was unique. It was interesting. I think we've said this before, but you go to the ballpark to see something that you haven't seen before. And we got that. And, and I love the energy from the fans. Like it, it almost felt like the fans were carrying Diaz through that. He goes out there and then strikes out the heart of the Phillies order to preserve the no hitter. And uh, it, it was as loud as I could imagine it being for an April game. So uh, yeah, special night, Drew Smith, uh, a real highlight, uh, He's now one of seven pitchers in baseball to throw more than nine innings this year without allowing a run. Um, and then he walks off to the standing ovation. And how often do you see like a reliever going off to the standing ovation? So very cool. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. And another special moment for this group. They keep doing something great like every series. Uh, this is the most fun I've had. <laughs> since like the uh that the playoff run like daniel murphy turning into babe ruth uh this is there sure i and you know i i've said it on the show and i think i've said it on the apple in the past it almost feels like 2006 where like you just every night it's like oh yeah well this team should win and every night someone different picking everyone else up and no matter who's on the mound things good things are happening it's just certain energy that comes along with being a competitive team. And when the Mets do it, when, you know, when they're lucky enough to be in the mix, uh, which, you know, 
looking into the crystal ball should be happening a lot more often in coming years. But, you know, at this point, for, again, from, from a fan's point of view, this doesn't happen very often. You can feel it when, when the momentum and when that energy is there. And right now you can, you can feel it. And I think through the weekend at City Field, uh, just that energy from Friday, I mean, you heard it on, on Sunday night with Max on the mound. He struck out the first five guys he faced. Crap right. is going crazy. Is the Metro scoring runs later in the game on Sunday? Yeah. Crab is going crazy. And I think that's just going to keep on building up as the season goes on. It's uh, it's very cool. You know, what kind of struck me, and I, I found it, um, I guess, a very cool point of view after the no-hitter. Uh, friend of the pod, co-host of Shea Station with our buddy um, Jack Jolly Olive over at uh, John Boy, um, former Mets pitcher Jerry Blevins. You know, he gave a what I took as a player's perspective or more specifically a pitcher's perspective on mm -hmm. a combined no-hitter, like, oh, yeah, just kind of a big shrug at it. And I get that. And, of course, I respect that because Jerry's a former major leaguer. He's a former reliever. So, of course, you know, that that opinion carries weight. But, um, you know, I, I guess, I, of course, I'm not in Jerry's head, but I guess from a fan's perspective, it's just a little bit different for me. For, for me personally, I, I, you know, is it that special complete game? No, no, of course not. It's not. And there's no debating the, the comparison between the two, but yeah, I think just coming back to our original point that in, in, in my watching the game and, you know, in my orange and blue heart, it didn't feel any different. It was still just as, uh, just as special. And yeah. You know, it's a shame they couldn't carry that energy over to, to Saturday, but maybe a little um, uh, even just a, a figurative hangover. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's also uh, worth noting that coming into that game, I think the Phillies were leading the league in runs scored. So it's not like you're no hitting some uh, rinky dink offense. That, that was uh, that. I mean, this is a really good group. They have a lot of sluggers uh, in Philadelphia, as oh, we yeah. saw through the weekend. So, um, yeah, it was cool. Oh, it was great. And then, you know, Taiwan Walker coming back, making his return on Saturday. He looked fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So it was good to see him come back from his injury. And uh, I'll keep saying it, can't have enough of these arms. So uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was nice that he was back. It was a shame that. Uh, couldn't hold the lead late. Uh, Adovino basically threw it in the spot that Kyle Schwarber loves to see it. Um, yeah, although it, it might not have mattered who was uh, who was pitching or where they threw it because Kyle Schwarber just uh, he's in the pantheon of of Met killers. <laughs> and you know, even just in the Phillies uniform, you know, going back to the two thousands to the mid to you know mid two thousands into the twenty tens, the the Chase Utleys and the Ryan Howards and the, and the Pat freaking Burles, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just kind of fits the mold. He does. Absolutely. And so that, that, um, I mean, so including tonight, uh, the two home runs that he had against Scherzer tonight, uh, he has 16 home runs in 36 games against the Mets. And, <laughs> um, there was a great stat, uh, that was tweeted out and I'm sorry, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't remember who exactly said it, but, um, in the first 36 games against the Mets, the most home runs ever, it's Schwarber at 16, and then Willie Mays and Willie McCovey at 
15 each. So that was uh, Sarah, Sarah Lang from MLB. Yeah, I saw that too. It was a great, uh, great company. Oh my goodness. And you know, it, he just, you know, going back to the Mr. Ryder days, um, you know, the Willie McCovey's, the uh, Willie Stargell's, Willie Mays, you know, just quintessential Met killers, uh, you know, Chipper Jones through my childhood. Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman. You know, you can go down the list. Um, Austin Riley. Vlad Guerrero. Vlad Guerrero beat up on the Mets when he was with the Expos every chance he had. Um, <laughs> oh, you I mean, you can go up and down the line. They, they were just, there's just guys who come to play against the Mets, whether it's interdivision, whether it's just, oh, you see him once a year and boy, this guy always kills you. Um, I bet you, you know, I happen to be a Dalton Varsho fan, but I bet you Varsho. I know the Mets only see the Diamondbacks twice a year. It <laughs> seems like every time they play him, though, he has a decent game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so you were talking about Walker. Yes. Great. Uh, he threw 73 pitches, threw 44 of them for strikes, uh, which is okay. Um, but only uh, two walks, but he only had the one strikeout and he gave up a couple of hits. So, uh, really nice to see him be able to go five innings and uh, and and last out there and not get beat around. And then uh, our guy Trevor May, who we've talked about a lot, he had the hold. Uh, he had a really nice inning. He did. Uh, Got into a little bit of. It, it was kind of like a. Uh, it, I now I forget the sequence, but it wasn't. He kind of walked into something. It really wasn't his fault, but he got out of it so nicely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, kind of throw it away. Uh, Sean Reed Foley, unfortunately. Um, what a shame. Yeah. So, uh, looks like there's going to be some discussion as to whether he'll have uh, Tommy Johnny as a partial tear of his uh, UCL. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he right away. You can see it in his face. You can see it in his body language. Just yeah. You hate to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, quick note on Taiwan Walker. That splitter, man, that is just one disgusting pitch. And it, he doesn't get I, – I, even on, on Saturday, he didn't get a ton of swing and misses on him. I think he threw 13 of them, only got one swing and miss and one called strike. Mm. But, man, I, it just comes in on such a plane that – and it falls right off the table. He could throw it for a swing and a miss if he wants to, it feels like. But – it's just, it's almost like a waste pitch. That's not a waste pitch. And it, it fits so well into the sequence that he's putting out there, how he's setting guys up. Uh, yeah. Between him and, and what McGill is doing and the depth that Peterson brings, the Mets are going to have some, some really, really good decisions to make um, once DeGrom is back on schedule. Cause Boy, everything's kind of just fallen into place. It feels so strange. Yeah, I, I no no complaints so far. I, I think about oh, exactly. uh, the the starting staff, and obviously, like we've talked about it. Whenever somebody has dipped, they bounced back, and uh, now uh, Walker's back. This is his second start, so um, yeah, it's uh, all good stuff. It's a shame that they weren't able to take advantage of their opportunities on on Saturday. A um, lot of opportunities, too. They went one for eight with runners in scoring position. They left 13 on base. Yeah. And, that's and that weird. hasn't happened. It really hasn't happened a lot. No, no, it hasn't. Um, the, and, and tonight, I was a little bit worried when um, Girardi made the move 
to bring in Alvarado, uh, I was a little bit worried that, you know, the same thing was going to happen where he had struck out both guys when he came in on Saturday. But, uh, but thankfully that didn't happen. And uh, Dom Smith, who he's had a little tete-a-tete against um, uh, dating back to last year, gets a big hit off of him. Oh, you got a few big hits between him and McNeil on Sunday. That was uh, just what the Mets needed. Like I said, it's someone else producing every single night. Let's take a quick break because before we get into Sunday, I just want to do a quick note on, on April and, and what we kind of saw and what's developing here. And, of course, we got to hear our, uh, hear our ad rolls. So let's jump into that. We'll take a real quick break. Hang tight. And we're back, Tim and Taryn, and we're talking Metsies. Winning uh, 16 out of their first 23. I do have the standings here. And, I, you know, Mets are still in first place. I did not check. And Miami looks like they lost again today? No. Yep, they lost. Finally, strive. They, they won seven in a row heading into Sunday. They finally lost a game. So they're three back. Mets have got the Braves coming in. But uh, really, a heck of an April. I mean, we can get into the individual stats and just looking at the, I mean, we, the, we can do pitching ad nauseum. Uh, the, the, you know, the pitching staff's been incredible. And even the, the bullpen, who've certainly had their ups and downs. Uh, if you look at them a, as a group, I think they came into Sunday with a 3.46 ERA. Um, you know, there's been high points between Diaz and Drew Smith and Chase and Shreve. Joely Rodriguez looks like a solid addition. Seth Lugo looks to be really coming back into his own. Trevor May is going to get there. He's just too good not to. But offensively, you know, you had seven Mets regulars finish April with weighted runs created plus over 100. Uh, you, you know, you had bench guys both pulling their weight in Jankowski and Luis Guillorme. You had a terrific week, by the way. Uh, Marte, you know, we said it earlier, not – Producing at his 100% capabilities, but I'm really not concerned there. And, you know, Dom Smith, who had a really tough April, and then, you know, enters Sunday with kind of a cloud of a decision hanging over his head, which we'll get to before we sign off on the show. Um, You have to kind of sit back and look at how the Mets are doing it. And I wrote about it at the Apple on Sunday. You know, they're not hitting the tar out of the ball. They're, they're last in the majors. And I saw ASPN note this stat on Sunday night as well. Last in the majors in hard hit percentage, but they have the best on base rate in baseball. They had scored the six most runs heading into Sunday against the Phillies, which I think they put up nine. So you have to, you have to assume they climb the leaderboards there. It, I don't want to say it's unconventional, but this is almost what baseball is, right? Just put the ball in play and let the cards fall where they may. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they, they've had, like you said, so many people uh, stepping up. Today we saw uh, McNeil, uh, another multi-hit game. Um, and, and all of these guys, they're kind of covering for each other. So, you know, Cannon was out for a week. Okay, so... Uh, Lindor stepped up at that time. And then, um, you know, once Lindor or Pete was dipping a little bit, then Jeff turned it on. Dom Smith tonight. Uh, Escobar has been pretty consistent. There's so many guys, and we keep talking about it, but the number of professional hitters, how deep this lineup is, 
it doesn't give the pitching staff uh, of the opposing team any breaks. There's nowhere where you can look at and you're like, oh, that's the black hole. I mean, <laughs> we had Jeff McNeil hitting in the eighth spot uh, until like the last couple of days. So, yep. um, yeah, it, it's it's really been special. And, and I, I'm glad to see that the stats are bearing it out. And it's, you know, I think the Mets have seen the – third most pitches out of the strike zone, they've made contact on 62.8% of those pitches. So it's like, it's almost like they're taking what they're being given. They're not selling out for power. They're, they're putting the ball all over the field. They're not playing station to station. They're, they're searching. They're actively searching for the extra base. I think what was the game the Mets lost uh, in St. Louis where they had two outs on the base paths. Guillaume uh, and Canna in the same inning, I want to mm-hmm. say, possibly. But they yeah. were both trying for an extra base, and it didn't work out. You know, you have to make teams make mistakes. And Mets started off Saturday with that kind of mantra, and then they forced the Phillies to uh, to to come home and, and, you know, got a run out of it. They didn't get any more, but this is the type of stuff that you kind of have to adapt and adjust and, and, and kind of work with on the fly. And I think Buck has done a terrific job of kind of spotting these trends and, and, and acting on them. Yeah. Like over the first few weeks, how many bunch did we see? Uh, the Mets are still, you know, among the, I don't, I don't want to say league leaders. I think there's 12 stolen bases heading into Sunday was ninth. Um, 2.8 BSR, which is Fangraph's base running metric. That was fourth in baseball, which is a huge, huge difference from what we've seen from this team in recent years. I mean, this is a team that even when they said, oh, we're going to make a real, real effort to improve our base running, still ended up towards the bottom of the league every year. And uh, yeah, it's it's almost like they the Mets knew what they wanted to do this winter, got the green light from Cohen to do exactly what they felt was going to work, and they went out and did it, and it's working. Again, I hate to repeat myself, but none of this feels real. <laughs> That feels great. Yeah. It feels, feels amazing. Yeah. And uh, like, I, I think to that point, um, this team, it, it, it is about finding different ways to win. They grind out these wins. I mean, we don't have anyone who's hit more than four home runs on the year. So it's not like one guy ever carries the offense. So if you are able to pitch around one guy, then, you know, you can, you can avoid danger. And I think that that, even, I mean, obviously in terms of like your approach for as an opposing team, you've got to look at that and you're, you're like, damn, like I, I, there's no drop off here. I I've got to face, if I don't want to face Alonzo, I got to uh, face Dom or I got to face McNeil. Uh, these are guys that are going to put the bat on the ball. And if they can get into the gap, like there's really good team speed here too. Uh, you're talking about forcing the issue. Like even tonight, uh, Marte was thrown out, but uh, it's all in the name of making things happen, drawing the throw, making other teams make mistakes. Um, so, yeah, it's been welcome to see, and, and they just look so professional out there. They play good defense. It's, it's a really great time to be a Mets fan. <laughs> now, you've been in a couple of different front offices. Are there different levels of focus on – I guess, quote unquote, the little things or, or are, you know, our organizations as a whole 
saying, hey, guys, look, no, we're we're going to focus on on dipping that back leg and going for launch angle and putting the ball in the air. Or, or you know, is this a, a level by level thing? Is it a oh, no, this is just how this manager works once you get up to the big club thing. Like, do you feel this is an orchestrated move to shore up deficiencies that were kind of remaining on this roster for so long? Oh, I think Buck uh, has made it pretty clear what he expects out of a ball club. Like, he wants things done the right way. And what does that mean? Like, doing the little things, yeah. not making mistakes, not beating yourself, and trying to get the other team to to make mistakes. So, um it's one thing to have star power, but, you know, a, a player will go through slumps. That's going to happen. But if you do the little things right and you, and you challenge the other team to beat you it, it, by not making errors, by, you know, making the right throws, putting yourself in the right position, backing up when you're supposed to, I mean, those are the things that the Mets have done really well this year. Yeah. And that's why it feels so sustainable. It's not like somebody's on some hot streak right now or that people are completely outperforming what they could do for a, a entire season. Like maybe you, you might say that somebody in terms of pitching might dip, but what have we seen all year? Like if, if somebody dips, somebody else is right behind them picking up the slack. No one ever lets go of the rope. Um, whether that's an organizational thing, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it seems like it would be challenging to like get in somewhere and, and say like, oh, we're specifically going to um, uh, teach these things. Like these guys are big league ball players. Yeah. If you teach those things at the minor league level, I think that those would carry by the time a guy would get up to uh, to the bigs. But this is, I think, Buck having the, the team focused and then the team having good leadership and everybody interested in working in the same direction. So um, I think that's, what's been most heartening to see. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it all really comes back to the depth that's on the roster. And I'm going to paraphrase. I think it was my closer on the, at the Apple on Sunday, you know, we've heard it a million times, the next man up, next man up. And so many times that's kind of applied to injuries and trying to make me, you know, making a patchwork quilt until someone comes back from the IL or whatever. And that was kind of the case with, with Jacob DeGrom and Taiwan Walker. Um, even on the offensive side, you mentioned cannabis some time, uh, just some slumps early between Dom or, or whoever. And, and now, you know, I can only imagine this is what it's like for the players in that clubhouse. But, you know, you look around that room and you, you see, just a room full of viable options, guys that you can trust to get the job done if you're not doing it or so on and so forth uh, throughout the, throughout the room. Um, you know, that's, I think the epitome of, of next man up, you know, trying to make, trying to, I guess, bridge, bridge a gap when you're, you're, you're running thin. That's one thing. But when, when you can do it on an everyday basis, when you can do it with matchups, when you can do it with slumping hitters, whatever, when you could do it with a, a spot starter and say, Oh, we're not going to miss a beat because we can throw Peterson out there and he'll be fine. You know, that that's the type of confidence that takes teams to, to great, great levels. And it, you know, it's still very, very early, but that's what it feels like. Yeah. And I, I think that there's also something to staying ready. Um, Buck being able to keep everybody on the same page uh, and also mixing up those lineups so that we're getting players who are getting at bats 
on a semi-regular basis so that you can stay ready. Um, I, I, I think that that's so critical knowing that you're going to need all of these guys. There are probably guys that are, um, you know, towards the, the bottom of the 40 that will be necessary in some way uh, over the, the long haul of the season. So uh, I think they have a good mindset. And, and I, as long as you keep winning, right, like there's not going to be any sort of um, sour grapes in that, in that clubhouse. I think everybody's going to be happy to p- play the role because they want to be part of the journey. <laughs> Again, very, very good time to be a Mets fan. Um, you know, let's, I guess we got to touch on Sunday real quick. And we saw, you know, Dom, of course, have a really much needed breakout game, went four for four. Uh, Jeff McNeil added four hits. Max Scherzer, you know, racked up nine strikeouts, gave up a couple of home runs. He's, he'll be the first to admit that he's not prone from giving up the occasional solo shot. Just so happened, both came off the bat of, uh, of Kyle Schwarber. But um, with Dom's big game on Sunday and the rosters being trimmed from 28 to 26 on Monday, yeah, it kind of leaves the Mets in a, in a precarious spot. Um, you know, Robinson Cano has not – he struggled. He struggled immensely. He's um, a, a very expensive part of the roster right now. Of course, you don't really want to think like that, but just production-wise, uh, he's taken up a spot. And if it was, you know, just moving along with the 26-man roster through a season, sure, you, you give him some time to kind of find his way. And I think the Mets really did all they could to get him a lot of playing time over the first few weeks to, you know, what I presume or what I assume is to make sure that before they cut ties with a – $44 million buyout or whatever it is, um, you know, make sure that they're spending $44 million on zero production instead of a little bit of production. But yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that also depends on uh, Steve Cohen's appetite to take a $40 million bath. Yeah. Like, is he willing to do that? If he is, then uh, him anyway, right. I'm sorry. You're paying him anyway. I mean, if, if he's, if he's going to give you a negative war, <laughs> then, you know, it, you pay him for zero war. I mean, if the money's already earmarked for him and it's already going to him, it's guaranteed contract. If he's not going to produce, yeah, I get it. You, you kind of have to cut ties. But do you think there's gas left in the tank? He was hitting the ball hard in the spring, and I was, I was encouraged by it. And I had to kind of bite that bullet over the weekend to be like, boy, that was a, a f- mirage, huh? Oh, I- <laughs> I was right there with you. I said to a buddy of mine uh, who's a Mariners fan, I was like, you just see like Robinson Cano is going to get a big hit for this team this year. And I I mean, obviously it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Maybe one. Sorry. Maybe one. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He had a home run. Right. Um, So he, uh, it, it, to me, it seems like he's not seeing the ball. Well, he's not drawing any walks. He's striking out a bunch. Uh, He's not hitting for power. I think he, what is he, like four for 37 or something like that? Oh, I got stats here. Hold on. It, it's, <laughs> it's bad. Um, it's not good. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Cer- it's certainly not good. Yeah. And so, like, if you're looking at the roster, which I am right now, so uh, Dom has two options. Like, you could send him down. The other guys with options are Pete, you're not sending him down. Jeff McNeely, you're not sending him down. Uh 
J.D. Davis, he's an option. Uh, he, you could send him down. Giorme has one more, but he's going to – he would be like your backup shortstop if, uh, if anything, God forbid, were to happen to Lindor. So um, I, don't think, I don't think you can part ways with any of those. Maybe Davis, but he, he's a more lively bat than, uh, than Cano at this time. So Absolutely. to me, it seems like uh, if, you're, if you're willing to eat the money – and say like, yeah, he's going to get paid anyway, but we're also just going to not expect any production and just basically paying him to go away. If he's willing to do that, I think that that's probably uh, for the best. But yeah, it's uh, it's a real shame um, because I thought that uh, that maybe he would be like a veteran presence, um, but this team is rocking without him, so. Um, <laughs> they really are. Yeah. It, it's, um, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, it, it's, it was a, you know, it was a situation that Robbins, you know, ended up in flushing to begin with. But yeah, I guess it's, it's been, um, I don't want to say disappointing because that would mean you've had your, <laughs> your hopes up at one point. Um, it, I mean, he hit well for, uh, what was it? The short season. He hit well, but that was yeah. pretty much it. And, you know, I guess he might have been juicing during that time, too. Maybe. Certainly possible. I'm not, I'm not here to, 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 to climb that fence. But, um, you know, and you can look back at his whole career and say, oh, well, what if that was the case? You know, up until that second. Yeah, I mean, some people will say the first suspension did it. But for me, up until that second suspension, if I had a Hall of Fame vote, it was certainly possible I might have still been voting for him. Um, it, it, you know, he was just another level of offensive player through his prime, well well through his prime. Well, it also looked like he was going to get to 3,000 hits, and that obviously oh, yeah. doesn't look like it's going to happen now. No. No, not unless he, he you know, finds something not unless he, he adds you know uh, he he's got to be cheating fastball for like the rest of his career at least that's what it looks like now his bat just doesn't look there it doesn't look like it's there at all yeah i would agree um so i think he's the obvious candidate uh jankowski brings you a lot in terms of base running and the ability to play all the outfield positions guillaume we mentioned backup shortstop so i uh, yet yeah, Take a choice. Uh, the <laughs> finality of cutting ties with Robinson Cano, or you can try to give him another week or so, let J.D. Davis go down. I don't know necessarily why you'd want to lose the bat of J.D. Davis. I think he's still yeah. more effective than uh, Robinson Cano, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, that's the choice that Epler and Co. are going to have to make, and Cohen will obviously be involved in that decision also, given uh, the financial stakes. So, yeah, I, that would be my choice. Oh, I think it's got to be. And, and, you know, I, I guess with, with Reed Foley going down and Yoan Lopez coming up, I guess that there, I guess that had to be two cuts. It goes from 28 to 26. That kind of worked itself out. But I guess in a sense, Cano did too, because they, they really, they gave him all the opportunities, opportunities that they could have. And uh, he just, I have it here. It's eight for 41 so far. And that's just, not going to cut it. 195, 233, 268. It's just, you know, 
you can't wait around for that, especially if rosters are getting trimmed. It's a, it's a tough truth to see a, a you know a player like Cano go out like this, but I guess it is what it is. Yeah, and then for the the other guy, uh, you think it's Williams that they would DFA him? Um, actually, no. I think Lopez. Uh, right now, it will be Lopez and and whoever else they would send out. I think it's two. Now, okay. at the end of the month, they have to trim their their bullpen from fourteen to thirteen, and at that point, I think they have they have to make a decision on another arm. And uh, you know, I, I like Williams. I love the stuff that he brings when he's right. But if David Peterson can do what Williams is doing once the rotation is completely full again, there's really not you know. I think that kind of decision makes itself as well, but got to see how it pans out. Uh, won't they have to bring up another arm for the doubleheader this week? Oh, they might get a 27th man for the doubleheader. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I believe that's how it would work out. And that's, that's a three o'clock double dip, right? On Tuesday. Uh, yeah, it, it is uh, Tuesday at three. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. I, I do enjoy that the, uh, the true doubleheaders are back and the Braves are in town. The Atlanta Bravos. Yeah. Um, scuffling a bit to start the year, but that's a solid team. I'm not going to be, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they come to play this week. Yeah. And uh, how he said it earlier, but it's really hard to win a four game series. So uh, we'll put our uh, seven straight series wins uh, on the line here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping we're coming back Friday, celebrating eight. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, man. All right, well, it's going to be a good one. Um, we're back on Friday. We have, of course, the recap of the week. We'll have our Mets of the moment. And, uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. Taryn, you having fun as, uh, as the, as the, uh, the co-pilot here or what? Uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving yeah. it. Uh, and we've gotten to watch so much good baseball. And the opportunity to talk about it with you has been um, – Really uh, so great. So I, I appreciate it again. Thank you. Uh, well, just getting started, buddy. It's, uh, it's my pleasure, and let's have some fun this year. Uh, you guys know the sign-off. It's let's fucking go Mets. And uh, as I said, we'll be back on Friday. Until then, we'll see you guys next time. Peace.